The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the host slash guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any of BXR entities and those they represent. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another week of Living a Rich Life. I'm your host, Rich James. Here on Living a Rich Life talk show, we inform, inspire, and encourage each other to live through six elements. Those elements are good health, strong relationships, financial freedom, goals and achievement, extraordinary experiences, and philanthropy. We all have a story to tell, and today's guests are no different. So with that being said, let's talk about it. Today, our first guest has been featured by CNN, USA Today, Travel and Leisure, Lodging Magazine, Travel Noir, and Hotel Management Magazine. And that's only to name a few. Please welcome the General Manager of Revival and award-winning hoteler, Mr. Dante Johnson. My guy, can 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 you hear me? I mean, you gotta take yourself off a of mute. Uh, <laughs> I, I I love it. You know, I I never get tired of saying that. Can you hear me now? Yes, we are. We oh, are good to go. Beautiful, good, good, good. It's only been three years, and I still haven't figured out how to use a mute button. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it, it gets like that. It gets like that. Right. So, so welcome to the show. Um, thank you. I, I want to say thank you for for joining. It's it's been a while. We've been trying to connect. We've seen yeah. each other out in social yeah. events and things of that nature, whether it was calendars conflicting, but we finally made it. We finally made. We figured it, it so out. Welcome. We figured it out, man. All right, that's what I like to hear. Yeah. So here on Be Exposed Radio, just to be just be clear, you know, we we do our research. Um, mm -hmm. And we, we know that you've been doing a lot of good things in the, in the community. We know you've been doing a lot of good things as the, the GM at Revival. So so tell us right right off the bat, um, how long you've been doing this and, and what makes a good hotel general manager? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the question, man. I um, So first and foremost, I've been in this industry for over 20 years. So started out at the front desk and this was... Uh, you know, shortly after graduating from college, I studied journalism. I was supposed to be a sports writer and I couldn't find a job. And, you know, even with the degree and, and all of that, uh, I struggled to find employment. And I had an aunt who was in the industry who encouraged me to just look into getting a job at the front desk just to kind of get myself situated and realistically move out of her house. And, and once I, I got a job uh, in the industry, I started to look around and realize, you know, I kind of like these people. I like, I like what the industry has an opportunity to represent. And if I'm gonna be here, I might as well learn as much as I can while I'm here. And so it was supposed to be a temporary thing that you know, turned into a 20 plus year you know, temporary job. And so if you could have a, there's a such thing as a 20 year summer job, that's what I'm doing right now, that's what I'm living. And you know, once I fell in love with the industry, uh, the rest is kind of history. So this so, is the sixth hotel that I've run as, as general manager, but I've been in the industry for two plus decades. 
Wow. Wow. Now, now, right there, folks, if you're just joining in, we're talking to Dante Johnson, uh, general manager of Revival. Now, so this is a this is a major story to me. Right. Um, yeah. You was thinking of doing a sports writer and yeah. then a summer, you know, again, summer, summer jobs are always the funnest. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and then you transition. I wouldn't have thought this was your, your, your calling, what you was meant to, to do. Um, so do you think, you know, again, that was just, hey, Dante Johnson, in, in his mind, what I, I want to do, but do yeah. you think career versus what you're doing now as a GM and hospitality, you, do you yeah. think this is really your calling, what you was called to do? Yeah, I don't believe in coincidence, Rich. I think that, I think ultimately everywhere where we are, we're there for a reason and we're there for a purpose. Um, you know, at 17 years old, picking a career and deciding what you're supposed to do with the rest of your life is something I think most kids aren't ready to do. And so I picked journalism because I was good at writing, not because I felt passionate about my ability to tell other people's stories. Uh, once I got into this industry, and particularly as I started to grow within the space, I realized that it gave me an opportunity to, to touch and impact people's lives. And to me, you know, that's the thing that I'm most passionate about. Uh, you asked what, what makes a great general manager. I think, I think being able to connect with people in a way that's authentic, that's supportive, uh, to me is, is like, that's the price of admission. I, I don't care how well the business is doing, you're not doing a great job if you're not actually pouring into your people. And I see my people as not just the people who work in this building, but you know the people who occupy this city as well. Yeah, I love that. Well, well said. Because again, I think you know me myself. I do a lot of traveling as well. Yeah. Um, you know, being in a hotel and being a guest, um, I can only imagine. You know, as, as a GM, some of the things that might might go through your your mind. Um, what would you say are kind of like the four main responsibilities as as a GM, right? Because you're really yeah. much managing all the operations. Yeah. So tell us, what's the four main responsibilities of a hotel GM? Yeah, I think every hotel GM has four key stakeholders. Um, you know, the people who who invest in the in the industry, so the people who own the building. Uh, you know, we're meant to 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 return on that investment. So we we lead the business, and that's what uh, what spits that out. Uh, the people who work in the space and so you know caring for the people who you're in the trenches with every day is what makes all the rest of that stuff happen and makes all the rest of that stuff possible um you know the customers pay the bills right and so so none of this happens without people walking through the front door and ultimately deciding making a decision to to spend spend money with you and give you their business but i think the fourth stakeholder and to me you know as important as any of those other key stakeholder groups is a community and far too often we've had hotels and other businesses that have thrived in communities that, that have not. And so, you know, my goal for every minute that I spend in this industry is to continue to break down the wall between where the business ends and where the community begins. Uh, so I think, you know, to me, I feel like I'm, I'm equally accountable to all four of those groups. Okay, okay. So, you know, you, you talk about the hospitality industry so, right. so tell us, how do you feel that you're, you're changing the hospitality industry? Um, you know, not just within the community, but, but, but abroad. Because again, you know, yeah. CNN is no small platform, my brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, USA yeah. Today, and, and you, you've yeah. been doing it. And, and, you know, we've done the research. These things I already knew. But tell us how right. you're changing the hospitality industry. Well, you know, I, I mentioned that our goal is, is really to, to run a business without walls. 
Um, that means creating a space where people feel seen, they feel represented, they feel uh, they feel like they have access. I think you know one of the first things I learned when I came into this position, having not really spent much time in Baltimore, was that you know all of these incredible restaurants, hotels, bars, uh, you know nightlife, uh, you know facilities, people in East and West Baltimore don't necessarily feel like those things are for them. They don't necessarily mm-hmm. always feel welcome in those spaces, and so. When you talk about changing the world, I think the first thing we can do is, is change our backyard. And so if we change how we move in our communities, that's the beginning of that conversation. I think, you know, I've been I've been very grateful to to all of the media outlets, not just you know CNN and USA Today, but you as well, uh, for for having an interest in helping me to amplify that story, because I think that that's how a thing becomes a wave. You know, somebody had to start all of these conversations and everything that. You know, 20 years ago, when when somebody decided, hey, we should probably start to look at how we can run businesses more sustainably, somebody had to start that conversation. And it caught on because people like yourself, who had a platform, who had an audience, um, you know, thought this is a story worth telling. So I'm grateful to you and, and people like you for helping us to tell that story. But I think the way that we seek to change the world is really just by, by bringing to light the fact that, you know, we are accountable to the people in our communities, too. Uh, just because you know people who live in the East and West Baltimore aren't typically booking hotel stays in Baltimore unless there's a staycation situation, uh, doesn't mean that they shouldn't be front of mind when we're thinking about how we program the spaces, what kind of music we're going to play, you know, what is what does the programming in the space look like? I think the more that we bring the community into the space, and the more that people in the community see themselves as a as a stakeholder in our business the more they actually become people who who support and amplify what we're doing. And I think that's the thing that's really put us over the top. And we've been fortunate. And honestly, I've been really you know, pleasantly surprised to see uh, so many people in our industry, in the space, in the city, start to start to catch on to that and do some of those things as well, which I think is incredible. Absolutely. I, I will say I've noticed that, too, as you know, time has progressed, and I, I don't know if this is a post-COVID, but I see it going on and on, just yeah. in terms of the, the level of support that get, gets poured out. Um, I, I do want to take a time to give a, a shout-out to my guy, Juan. Um, I'm sure you know yeah. Juan. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I talked to Juan on uh, on Monday. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Guy, so man. hopefully you yeah. told because Juan, Juan was on the show, and that was yeah. one of the key things, too, to get you on here as, as well. Because um, So that's, that is huge. I mean, that's really huge. How how did it feel to be named an influence, uh, influencer of Maryland um, by the Daily Record? How, how did that feel? It felt great. You know, I think that I think it's it's one thing when when media outlets and national publications are are amplifying the work. I think it, it really means that much more when the people in the community that we seek to serve, uh, you know, find the work to be meaningful. So I think that there's nothing better than than having the Daily Record or Visit Baltimore or the GBC or, you know, or the city of Baltimore itself uh, hold up the work that we're doing and say, hey, listen, this is a model that we think people should pay attention to because it's something that's helpful. So, it, it I mean, it means everything to me. Oh, nice. So folks that are just joining in and uh, watching, uh, feel free to call in. Uh, we're going to take a few minutes to allow Dante to share your social media so yeah. folks know how they can get a hold of you, how they can get a hold of anything happening at the Revival, uh, the address and where they go if they need to stay. Yeah. So if you could do us the honors and, and share with your social media contacts and all your other information, that'd be great. For sure. First and foremost, the hotel is located 
at 101 West Monument. So it's literally across the street from uh, from Mount Vernon Place, home of the original Washington Monument. Um, my social media handles, I'm the Hoodie Hotelier on uh, on Instagram, Hoodie Hotelier on Twitter, and uh, Dante Johnson on uh, on LinkedIn. And so that's that's really the best place to go to keep track of everything that's happening at the hotel. I try to be very intentional about pushing out all things revival, top side, B side, all of our outlets and all of our programming on those channels so people can keep up with it. All right, thank you, sir. So let's yeah, talk about it. the hoodie hoteler. How, how, do you, how do you pronounce it? Hotelier, yeah. Hotelier, yeah. okay. Yeah. So where did the where did that term come from? Where did that phrase come from? Yeah, it's a good question, man. And, you, and you're the first person in media to ask it. Um, well, this is the exposed radio. We got some of the best yeah, teams. Yeah, for sure. Um, so during the pandemic, there's a lot of things that shifted in the industry. And one of those things was, and you started to see a, a sort of evolution of dress codes and a lot of spaces, uniform programming, which was a thing that we were blowing up pre-pandemic at Revival. Uh, we felt very strongly that we have a, we have a team that's dynamic and stylish and the people at my front desk dress better than I do. So why would I assume that I can go onto a uniform catalog and pick out something that's better for them to wear than what they can wear themselves? And I also found that like nobody's ever proud to wear their work uniform on the bus on their way to work in the morning. So my belief, you know, just like Deion Sanders said, like if you feel like you look good, then you play good. And so if people on my team feel feel like they're the best version of themselves when they leave the house every day, then I think they'll perform well when they get to the workplace. And they're, they're showing our guests a more authentic version of what Baltimore looks like. And I think that if we as an industry really want to localize experiences and tell the stories of our communities, well, it starts with allowing our people to be the most authentic version of themselves. And what I found was that I couldn't fully amplify that if I wasn't embodying that and living that myself. And so this is not to say, like, my closet is ridiculous, man. One of my best friends in the space is, uh, is Miguel Wilson, who's, you know, top tier as far as men's fashion goes. Um, I've got plenty of suits. I choose not to wear them to work at Revival because what we're doing, again, breaking down the walls between the business and the community, I think requires a level of authenticity that, that it's hard to, to create when when there's image barriers between me and the people in the community. So if I go to Tish Tillman Elementary and Middle School because you know we want to go over there and mentor and connect with some young people, I want to be the most approachable version of myself when I get to that school, not the version that they see as the most fancy or the version that they see as the most aspirational. It's all, I'm already aspirational when I show up. I think the most important thing for me to focus on is how I can create a genuine connection with people. So if we're breaking down walls, that doesn't just mean the physical walls. That also means, um, you know, creating a space where where people can see you and see themselves in you as well. Well, well, well said. Uh, that, that that's well said. I'm, I'm glad my team came up with that question. Yeah. I mean, and that, that that makes sense. That makes sense. One thing you mentioned was was the youth. How how important yeah. is it to mentor our youth today? How how important is that? It's critically important. I think that. You know, I'm, I'm not sitting here right now were it not for people all along the way at every step in the journey who uh, who saw me as a worthwhile investment of a few minutes of time. And so I think that there's so many 
areas where where we as a society um, have a responsibility to to do better for young people. And and I think that you know young people in the city are not a burden. They're not a problem to be solved. They're not a thing to be fixed. Like they are a part of our community. They are young. And and I I suspect that the people on your team have said what I've have seen what I've written about young people in the city. Uh, and that's Absolutely. why this is a question. I think that, um, you know, I don't want to turn this into a, an interview about the squeegee community, but um, but look that up for, for people who are listening, people who are watching, who, who are unaware. Um, they are not, uh, Baltimore does not have a monopoly on underserved young people. I think in every city and every country, there's a version of, of, of squeegee kids who exist. And I think how how the community responds to those, to the needs of that community, to the needs of that population is, is telling more about us than about them. And so, you know, the short answer is I, I think, I think mentorship and engagement with young people is critically important. And I'll never not have a few minutes for a young person who, uh, who's got something on their mind. Uh, that, that, that's, that's key. I mean, even at this age, I'm, I'm still, yeah. I'm no youth, but uh, <laughs> I still think, you know, having, having a mentor or someone you can talk to kind of guide sure. you through the waves is, is very important. Um, so yes, we, we did definitely dig into some of the community stuff that you do. Again, hats off to you. Um, I do want to take this time also, because um, one of your, your folks that you work with very closely um, was actually an individual that kicked off my show some three years ago. And, and Monty, keep, keep me honest. I want to say three, three and a half years ago. So tell, it, tell us what it's like to work with uh, Jason Bass. It's incredible, man. Jason, Jason's my guy. And I feel like uh, I feel like there's probably twenty thousand people in Baltimore who who would say that exact same thing. Um, you know, so I think having somebody in the space who who is you know brilliantly creative, but also um, highly entrepreneurial, creates a very different dynamic uh, on our leadership mm-hmm. team than than most other hotels have. And I think that's a big part of of our competitive edge. I think being able to to harness that that energy and pour it into our operation in a way that's meaningful becomes one of the most important parts of my job. Connecting, you know, what is a very robust uh, brainstorming slash creative process to day to day outcomes that impact the experience of our customers is a really really fun task to have every day when you walk into the workplace. And I think one of the things that that hotels fall into is a habit of cycling through the same sets of ideas year after year after year and doing a thing that's doing a version of a thing that's incrementally different than what we did before. I think having somebody who is sort of a creative bull in the China shop uh, show up and be a part of the team, uh, it, it shifts every part of the dynamic. And I think it impacts every part of the operation. Absolutely. And, and on a side note, you know, because again, not only do we do the research, um, we, we do go out and ask folks their, their thoughts and, and, and their opinions um, of you. And uh, I will say nothing but with outstanding comments in terms of you as an individual. Thank you. Um, and, and one of the co- questions that, you know, was asked by, again by someone that we reached out to, they, they want to know what inspires and motivates Dante Johnson? Um, the people, man. I think it, it sounds corny, but but I am inspired <laughs> by, by the interactions I have with people every day. Uh, Jason asked me a question recently about, um, you know, I, I, 
I do a lot of I do a lot of things intentionally for people, uh, and I refuse to accept anything in return. Like I'm not, uh, and this is I'm not I'm no saint, you know I'm I'm not at all. But I think um, I I get excited and inspired when I can identify an opportunity for you that you may not see for yourself. I get ex I get excited and inspired when when I'm in a room and something comes up and I know somebody who would benefit from it and I'm able to connect those dots. Like to me, that's his own reward. And the way I see it is everybody who has benefited from that is a part of an ecosystem where, you know, I'm never gonna ask you for anything, but I might ask you for something for somebody else and I need you to show up. And I think everybody who who I have endeavored to support and help knows that there is a string attached. There's just one. And that string is one day I'm gonna call you and I'm gonna ask you to do something for somebody. And you might not know that person, but they're in the circle and we all need to look out for each other. And so I think it, you know, there's there's formal frameworks built around this idea. Like I didn't invent this, but it's something mm -hmm. that that I live by. And to me, that's the thing that that gets me the most excited. Um, you know, I, I have an eight-year-old son, man, who I think is is just most incredible human who's ever lived. Uh, if you want to ask me why I wake up in the morning, I mean, you know, it's it's to create a world that's worthy of him. But the thing that, you know, and on a day-to-day -day basis, as I'm walking through the building, uh, that keeps me energized is, is the idea that we get to help some people. And I think if we can create a culture in this building, which we have, where where it's not weird for me to say to the the front office manager, Oz, hey man, there's a lady who who has vegan desserts. We need to plan a pop-up for her in the lobby. And he goes, yeah, absolutely, say less. And then I meet with the food and beverage director and go, hey, she wants to put her vegan desserts on the menu. It's like, will we do that? I don't know, maybe we will, maybe we won't. But it's not weird to anybody in this building that they are going to be asked on a regular basis to do things that do not contribute directly to the bottom line of our business, but they contribute to the humanity in our community. And they know that that's what's expected. And to me, like that's probably the thing I'm most proud of. Yeah, that's 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 the whole uh, support in a, a different type of way. Um, yeah, you know, one 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 of the things you know, I'm I'm a big supporter. Folks say, hey, you know, you're always reaching out trying to connect somebody. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's 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 a beautiful thing when I'm able yeah. to help someone else. For sure. Um, and, and whatever the case is, one of the stories I, I generally like to tell is when I connected a, a restaurant owner and a, and a woman that was you know getting into bacon. They just started. And then from there, it just, you know, catapulted in something amazing. So um, that's that's definitely definitely key when it comes. Again, not just think about yourself, but I think as a as a whole, as a community, we'll get somewhere further if we if we support each other in that in that direction. Um so you know, we talked about a lot of different things. Yeah. Um in terms of again, one of the big things, you know, I won't say the bottom line, but a big piece of it is um, you know, finances, right? So ultimately, who's responsible for finances in, in, in the hotel and, and why? In this hotel, it's me. Uh, I'm, I'm responsible for everything that happens in this building every day. And, and that, that includes the, the financial performance of the business. Um, you know, that's the simple answer. And I think mm -hmm. if there's... What's the trick on, question? No, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. I think, I think every hotel has a person who... Who leads finance and in our case we have an area director of finance like no shade to him he's great at what he does and and um and he leads that department but who's responsible for making the business make money that's me and 
And I have a team of brilliant people around me, whether it's sales and marketing, revenue management, uh, finance, food and beverage, I mean, the whole thing, everybody plays a part in that. But I am ultimately accountable for, for the bottom line. And whoever sits in this chair in every hotel is as well, whether they feel like it or whether they know it or not, they are. Um, you know, so to me, that's a thing that all of the things that we do in the community, you know, the example I just gave of doing a pop-up in the lobby um, and looking at things, local items that we can add to the menu, all of those things are cool. But if the business isn't successful, then we'll just be some people who did a bunch of cute stuff at a hotel mm -hmm. and nobody will mm -hmm. ever look to replicate our playbook and copy what we've done. The reason why you see people starting to do things that look and feel very similar to things that you've seen us do over the past few years is because it's working. So my job is to make sure that we convert all of those really meaningful things into value to the business. Yeah. So, so my, which kind of keys up my next question, you know, this is always, this is be exposed radio. Yeah. Um, is it more important to be a good listener or a good communicator? I think you can't be a good communicator if you're, if you're not a good listener. Um, mm. You know, it's, it's, it's probably the most critical part. Everybody's got something to say, whether they say it or not. But if you're not really engaged with the person that you're that you mean to communicate with, um, you know, from a listening perspective, then, then you're going to miss more often than you hit. So I think I think the listening has to come first. But it is a part of that package when you're looking to communicate with folks. Okay, we got Dante Johnson, GM of Revival Hotel. Um, he's dropping gems here. He's dropping gems. <laughs> Two questions that I always like to ask my guests. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you one of them now. Okay. And I think for all intents and purposes, I could kind of summarize what I think it is. But what is your superpower? What is Dante Johnson's superpower? I think it's, um, I think it's empathy. I think that mm. you know I have a uh, I have a deep sort of visceral connection with you know with, with all the humanity around me, and so you know last night I'm driving through the intersection again, going back to the squeegee community, and you know a guy walks up to the car, it's like yo my, my windshield squeaky clean it usually is, but you know I've got a few dollars for you, but I also I want to talk to you, and if that means that people got to drive around and they're gonna beat the horn and the light turns green. I, I don't really care about any of that because I'm focused <laughs> on the human being who's in front of me right now. And that's not to say that I do that every time I drive past an intersection, but when I don't, it kind of sticks with me a little bit. And, you know, there's, there's a million examples of, of times where I felt like, you know, I wasn't as human as I could have been in an interaction. Like I fall short of this quite a bit, but I think the way that it sticks with me and the way that it, that it affects me, um, is something that that's that's meaningful and it's probably a little different. And so I don't think I have a choice but to lead empathetically because I couldn't get away from it if I tried. And so I, and I think that that's it's it's more of a of a benefit. It's more of an advantage. It's more of a superpower than it is um, a hindrance because I think it enables me to engage with people differently. And I come from very very humble beginnings, bro. I grew up in the projects, man. I've seen I've seen alcoholism, drug abuse crime, murder, violence, up close and personal, man. I come from very humble beginnings, but the way that I came through that was that people saw in me, um, you know, something worthwhile. So my responsibility to, you know, the world, to everybody 
is to to put that same energy back out. Absolutely. I mean, and again, that that requires special skills to to, to me. Not not everyone. And again, I, I stay in my lane, right? It comes yeah, to yeah. media interviews, talking to people. I, I can do that. That's one piece of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I have my six elements of that's how I live my life. But yeah. for you as GM, like I said, I would stay in my lane. I wouldn't do it. What What are some skills that are absolutely required in, in order to be a, a hotel GM? So not even think, responsibilities, absolutely yeah, skills yeah. that you need to have and, and yeah. that you possess. Yeah. I think skills, uh, organization is important. Uh, you, there is always, always going to be more to do than there is time to do it. Mm. I run a 24 hour day, seven day a week business. More work comes in than I can possibly, than I can possibly do by myself. Um, I'm going to need you to say that again. <laughs> I said, I run a 24 hour a day, seven day a week business. On a daily basis, more work comes in than I myself can possibly do. Um, you have to delegate and you have to trust the people around you, but you also have to have people around you who you can trust. And so being a good judge of character is what will enable you to bring, you know, to more often than not, we all get it wrong from time to time, bring in the right people, surround yourself with people who, who are strong in their space and who you can trust to do the things that, that you simply cannot humanly do yourself. And I think the, the, the worst trap that, that, that early stage GMs fall into is not trusting anybody. Nobody can do it as good as me. And if I, and every time I give a thing to somebody else, it's better to just do it myself. I posted a video on Instagram the other day uh, of the scene from Casino when, yeah. when, when Robert De Niro was like, I want an equal amount of blueberries in every muffin. Now, mind you, like clinically, there's something wrong with him as a character, <laughs> but I, he's not wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But ultimately, he can't put the blueberries in the muffin himself. He's got to have people around him who can do who can do their part. Like Belichick said, if everybody just shows up and does their job, then you know the Patriots win championships. So, uh, so I think you know the delegation piece is critical. Um, I think that it's not a skill, but it's a trait. Authenticity is critical, man. Authenticity is critical. Uh, nobody wants to follow a fake leader, and and I think more more people than we realize are really, really good at sniffing out BS. Mm-hmm. And so, man, there's so many, there's so many fake charismatic people out there who are, who are smiling and shake, handshaking you to death, who people know that that's not really how, how you truly show up. And so I, I'd rather, I'd rather tell somebody something that, that they're not going to like, but that's true, than, than to, to have them like me seven days a week, 365 days a year. And I think if that, that's your baseline, if that's your foundation then you build on that by being tactical and being strategic and being able to sort of outmaneuver the people that you compete with uh, from a commercial strategy standpoint, then you got a recipe that you can cook with. Mm, well said, well said. What, what does a typical day look like for you? What, you know, I know it's 24 hours, seven <laughs> days a week business, but you know, yeah. for you, for me, my days usually start you know, six o'clock and then right after yeah. the show today, we prepare for next week's show, right? right. So what's the yeah. typical day look like for Dante Johnson? And and what sort of hours do you work? Yeah, so first of all, 15 Zoom calls every day. Like my life has become one long uninterrupted Zoom call. I do not know how to fix this, but at some point I'm gonna figure that out. No, I would say that probably 
a good 30% of my time is spent in meetings, whether virtual or in person. And I think that's just part of the job. Um, every day is a little bit different. And that's what I love about this job. Uh, and I think the GMs who are doing it right are every day finding time and opportunities to show up for their people. Uh, I've got two bartenders that are competing in a speed rack competition. If you don't know what that is, we don't have time to go into it, but look it up. And, um, and so early stages of me finding out that I've got bartenders that are competing and our, our bar team is incredible here. They compete and win contests all the time. Half the time they don't even tell me about it, which I get annoyed by and they know this, but I was, I said to, to Elena, our bar manager and, and B side downstairs, we should like host some practice rounds so that we can like get ready and prepare ourselves to win this thing. And so she brought that conversation back to the bar guild. The bar guild sets up an event, not here somewhere else that's cool. But Monday on my way home from work, I gotta stop in man and be present in that space to support my people. And what was really incredible for me was that two of my managers from the hotel were there on their day off as well. And so it's like, that to me says a lot about the culture that's been built is that, you know, I'm thinking to myself, Hey, this is a thing that I'm responsible for carving out time to do this. I have to do it. They don't, they're doing it because they want to. So I think those opportunities will present themselves three or four times a week. I just got to be dialed in and create space to be nimble when they do. If my schedule is fixed from the day I, from the minute I get here to the minute I leave, then I've, I've created no space for me to show up for the team in those moments, um, you know, we have a weekly strategy meeting. So every week we figure out how to, how to go out there and compete for business. Um, you know, every morning we start the day with, with a quick stand-up meeting so everybody can get themselves aligned and oriented. I think just about every hotel on earth does that meeting, um, mm -hmm. you know, and then all throughout, everybody who reports to me directly is gonna get some time, you know, once a week for whatever it is that we're working on together, but also for just whatever's on their mind, whether it's something that's here, it's something in life, um, you know, we create space for that. Uh, at least once a month, I get together with a small round table of just anybody who works in the hotel can show up for that meeting, tell me what's on their mind, what should we keep doing, start doing, stop doing. And those meetings are, uh, tell me more about what's happening at the hotel that I learned more about what's happening at the hotel in that hour and a half <laughs> than, than any right. other minute that I could possibly spend in the building because the leaders want to show up as capable. So they're going to tell me the things that make me think that they're great at their jobs and they are, but what the public area attendant is going to tell me, what the dishwasher is going to tell me, what the engineer is going to tell me is going to let me know everything that I need to know about where my attention should be focused to, uh, to address the most pressing concerns in the building. <laughs> Okay, so within the 20 years, you know, 20 years in the business, you know, yeah. uh, from the front desk to now to, to GM, uh, I, I can say you've probably seen a lot um, <laughs> in terms of, you know, because sometimes we have, as I like, you know, well-known or famous celebrities, people, people you know, because yeah. I, I, tell, I tell folks I'm kind of famous. So yeah. just, sure. in terms of, <laughs> just in terms of famous folks that you, you've encountered, because you know, yeah. I, I did my research. So can you yeah. share with us any uh, folks that you've encountered, famous or not, that maybe were extremely irate and irate guests? Who did you enjoy most? You know, yeah. what was that kind of like that? What was that like? 
Yeah, honestly, I have never had a diva celebrity in my life. <laughs> and I honestly, like that, that's real. And I, I've and I have personally interacted with tons of famous people in the industry. And so I had, I told you I had an aunt who used to work in who used to work in hotels. And I would mm -hmm. come home when I was living with her and say, Hey, guess who I met today? So you gotta take pictures with these people. And I was like, nah, man, that feels it feels like that's not professional. So I'm not gonna do it. But mm -hmm, the first mm -hmm. celebrity that I was really excited about meeting um, was, well, who will always be Apollo Creed to me. So, you know, this is this is what I called this man. It's what I called him when he checked in. It's probably not the most respectful thing in the world, but like I, I had an, an emotional connection to that character. And so, you know how folks are, I'm gonna call you your most famous character. Um, right, right, right. I met, I met Johnny Cochran at a hotel at midnight. I was like, I stayed at the hotel because I wanted to check him in. Um, and, and I did, I was working in hotels in DC during, you know, both Obama inaugurations, but the Obama one was, um, was like this really, really incredible, um, celebrity melting pot. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. at the hotel where I was working, you know, JLo, Mark Anthony, Jay-Z, um, Aretha Franklin, Usher, T.I., it was like it was like just a really really random group of celebrities, but you know the energy in the space was was incredible, and like the goofiest incredible, thing that happened. Incredible time! That was an incredible time. Of course, of course, yeah. historic. And honestly, the the goofiest thing that happened during that entire window, when the entire hotel was full of celebrities, was that Usher wanted to go in the hotel kitchen and cook his own food. That's <laughs> like, so not it's not something that you're going to be able to do. And so if that makes him a diva, then he's the answer to your question. Um, Usher wanted to come <laughs> into our kitchen and, and cook for himself. Uh, I, I love it. I, I love it. I yeah. love it. You know, we, we, we could probably share stories on interaction. I, I mm -hmm. think, again, that's one of the things, again, to your aunt. She's like, oh, you should take pictures with these people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I've met quite a few folks. And you know, I t I've taken here and there a couple of folks. Anyone yeah. that knows me, they know I'm, I'm a selfie king. But, yeah. um, you know, sometimes, again, I think they, you know, folks just want to say, hey, how you doing? You don't really yeah. uh, have over them for, for pictures and everything because they at the end of the day, they're, they're people, too. Yeah. And I think also um, I'm, I'm at work and, yeah, yeah, and, my, yeah. and, my, and my work is really your temporary home. And so mm -hmm. I think to your point, man, people are people are tired. They just got off a plane and they just they, they've been traveling all day and they just want to get to their room. I'm not going to stop them uh, from doing that to to do anything that's self-serving, whether right. it's just have a five minute conversation. I'm, I'm not going to do that unless it's prompted by them. Um, you know, so that that was always the, the way the way that I looked at it. Absolutely. So one, one of the things I've learned and, and come to realize as, again, you know, things are continue to grow in, in my media space. Um, I just recently became a board member for Layla's Gifts a nonprofit organization. Um, so thank you, thank you. So I, I I know for a fact, again, and I think this came from some of my folks that did research, they were asking some of the board member, you know, some of the organizations that you've been a, a board member that you you are currently or have been. Yeah. Um, is that a, that's that's a thing for you, right? Yeah, I, I try to I try to be of service to the industry with my board work and be of service to the broader community in every other space. So, so when we go to, you know, Tinch Tillman or Dallas Nichols Elementary School to do work with those with those students, that is to me 
um, an ongoing commitment of showing up for people directly that, you know, that I think will benefit them differently than decisions that I could make serving in a boardroom of a nonprofit. Doesn't mean that that's not valuable. It just means that that's the way that I'd rather be face to face with those folks. Um, and I think that the work that I try to do in the industry is really challenging industry norms and things that we've held to for a long time that I think limit access. So I'm gonna try to limit board participation to three at the most at a given time. And it always usually ends up being four, no matter how, how hard I try. Right now, um, I'm on three boards that revolve specifically around uh, my work at the hotel here. So the, the Mount Vernon Place Conservancy, which is the organization responsible for looking after the park right across the street from the hotel, I serve on that board. And that is a board that really controls what happens with a gem of an asset to the Mount Vernon community. And that is you know, Mount Vernon Square. The park is incredible, but what happens out there hugely sets the tone for what this community feels like to people. And mm -hmm. I think if the, if the board makes decisions that limit access, then that's a thing that's meaningful. If the board makes decisions that create access, then that's meaningful. So, you know, we can curate a vibe by deciding what kind of musicians will be in the park, what kind of activities for kids will be in the park, how, how aggressively do we want to stop kids from skateboarding, all those types of things, I think, are, are really, really meaningful to, this, to dictating what kind of community this will and won't be. So I participate in that board. Uh, I'm on the board for Visit Baltimore. And so that's a, now you've gone from a neighborhood thing to a city thing and and visit Baltimore obviously is, is the organization charged with bringing uh, tourism business to the city. And so obviously that, that connects with my work at the hotel uh, pretty directly. And then I'm also on the board for the Maryland Hotel and Lodging Association. So now this is a statewide thing. And, and largely my participation in that board mirrors the work that I do in the other two, just at a larger scale. And so, you know, Visit Baltimore and the Mount Vernon Place Conservancy are probably more closely connected than, than the work at the state level because the state means, you know, Ocean City, the state means Annapolis, the state means PG County, Montgomery County. Uh, so that work ends up spanning different types of hotels, different types of markets. Uh, the challenges that, that, that the state has versus the, what the city has are very different. And oftentimes the relationship between Baltimore and Annapolis, meaning the city and the state level government, um, you know, it tends to be one that that needs some some very intentional caretaking. So I'm 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 grateful to be able to be in the room for some of those conversations and participate. And then I recently joined the board, the East Coast Board of Directors for the International Luxury Hotel Association. And that was maybe a month ago that I joined that board. And I thought that was a very interesting one because a lot of what I have challenged in the industry um, specifically rose against some of the norms that, that the luxury sector within hospitality has held to pretty tightly. So when we blew up the uniform program here and said, hey man, everybody gets to decide what they wear to work. Uh, I don't see a lot of luxury hotels doing that across the board. And maybe mm -hmm. they shouldn't, maybe that doesn't serve them. But I think having a voice that is so quote unquote untraditional in these spaces or having a voice that 
typically wouldn't have been welcomed into these spaces. These voices have always exist. Don't get me wrong. The movement's been strong for a long time, but they haven't always been welcomed into those spaces, I think is, um, is a very interesting thing. And before I join any organization, I ask when, when it's solicited, specifically, how do you see me adding value to, the, to this right. board? And what are the things that you would look for me to specifically support with? And to their credit, one of the things they said is like, we don't have many voices like yours. Um, we'd love to, to hear from you in, in our conversations. Now, we'll see how that plays out. It's like easy, it's, it's cool to say that. Easier said than done, right, right, right. Once, once, I'm, once I'm in the room and talking, I think there's times where, where certainly people don't, uh, people might, might, might wish they hadn't said that. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. So, so what's next for, for Dante Johnson and Revival? Tell us I think next. I think I think we're going to continue to to try to deepen the impact. Um, you know, I think we we typically try to to start out going deeper rather than going wider. But then once we've mm -hmm. kind of you know once we've kind of done that in a way that we're happy with, then we start to kind of start to to spread the work out a little bit, and also to to try to be as collaborative as possible. Uh, we want to continue to to work with. Uh, with, with local businesses, uh, particularly businesses that are that are owned and founded and operated by women and people of color in the community. We, we, we know the statistics around how little VC funding and support that those businesses get. And so we want to do what we can to close that gap. Um, you know, but we also want to continue to collaborate with with creatives and people outside the Baltimore community. And so we're talking right now to, a, to an incredible photographer out of Philadelphia who's going to do an installation here at the hotel. We're talking to some folks in New York, some folks in DC. And so I think people can look forward to, to larger, splashier collaborations. But we also wanna, wanna do work with, with other hotels in the city, other restaurants in the city. Like you talked about Juan, man, me and Juan, like Juan and I have been tight for a long time since before I ever got to Baltimore. And so mm -hmm. I, I've, always, I've always watched closely and loved what, you know, what he's doing, what he's done throughout his career. Um, I would love to see a space where, where you know, all of us can get together and collaborate and work together on things. And I think I think that's something that's not crazy to think. That's what's up, that's what's up. So before we conclude this session and uh, take a quick commercial break. Um, so folks, again, we have Dante Johnson, General Manager of Revival. I wanna say thank you for joining. Our final question for you is uh, one of my favorites. What does living a rich life mean to you um, so if you could just give us your thoughts on that. For sure. Um, you know, first and foremost, I think I think it's to me, it's the highest version of self-care. And and so as an example, uh, I've got a buddy who is an avid golfer. Like he will he he is hell bent on playing all the most uh, you know, all the most most all the fanciest golf courses in, in the country. You know, whatever the most prestigious courses are, he wants to have checked all of those off his list. <coughs> I have no desire to set foot on a golf course. Now, like if I could, if I could shoot free throws at Capital One Arena, like that to me would, would be a better way to spend an afternoon, right? So mm -hmm. I think I think we should all be doing the version of things that that align directly with us and not the things that that we've been taught equal a rich life. So if if I'd rather be in in Jamaica than Paris then a Parisian vacation shouldn't be a more aspirational thing to me. I should do the thing that, that aligns with, I'd rather be on the beach than be at the Eiffel Tower, then I should go to the beach. 
So for me, um, you know, it is travel. It is it is going to places that are uh, that are not the places that we've been taught over time that we're supposed to go to. You know, I want to go to spots where um, that aren't on everybody's radar, and I want to go to the places where people who are from there go. So I'm going to sign the waiver and I'm going to walk off the resort and live with the <laughs> outcomes. And, and, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go be around some real people, man. And I think for me, uh, you know, wherever I go, I'm going to find the people and, and, and connect with them as best as I possibly can. Um, you know, I think living a rich life is a life that, uh, that creates abundance, not that absorbs it. So, mm. so to me, um, you know, I feel fulfilled when I am creating value for people around me. And so that is the, the, the day in day out answer. I'm going to take, I'm going to take a few trips every year. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to eat at some nice restaurants, man. I'm going to have the best cocktails in every city I go to, but the day in day out answer of how to live a rich life is to create abundance for other people. I love it. I love it. So there you have it folks. Dante Johnson telling his story here on Be Exposed Radio. Uh, this is your guy, Rich James. This is Living a Rich Life Talk Show. Dante, thanks for joining. We'll be right back, folks. We're going to take a quick 20-second commercial break, and then we're going to come back with our second guest, an amazing woman, um, and she's closing out Women's Month here on Be Exposed Radio, Living a Rich Life Talk Show. We'll be right back. Thank you. The Style Lounge Boutique. For a different caliber of service, the Style Lounge Boutique. For clothing that fits your lifestyle, the Style Lounge Boutique. At 1734 Maryland Avenue. Trust me, you're going to love it here. All right. Welcome, welcome back. Again, this is your guy, Rich James, um, host of Living a Rich Life talk show here on Be Exposed Radio. Again, our, our goal is to inform, inspire, and encourage you. And we do that, again, based on six principles, or as I like to say, six elements. Again, good health, strong relationships, financial freedom, goals and achievement, extraordinary experiences, and philanthropy. Um, we just had a very good conversation with Dante Johnson, general manager of Revival Hotel. And um, I got to say, he had an amazing story. So please uh, follow that brother. Um, check out Revival Hotel. Um, and it's all this information is going to be on my Instagram if you can check it out. Um, and we encourage you to, 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 again, support that brother, support what's going on. Um, good gentleman. Um, so I think we're just about ready for our second guest. I check in with my my producer, Monty. I believe he's uh, I call Monty the magician because he's always on point. Um, so our second guest um, is 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 amazing. She is an amazing individual, uh, amazing woman. Um, she is a proud Baltimore native and graduate of Weston High School. Earned a degree from the renowned Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. Um, where I am from. She was uh, selected to intern for the powerhouse brand of Donna Karen. Um, her clientele includes business owners, professional women, and celebrities, media personalities, 
who lead active lives as mothers, wives, elected officials, business and community leaders. Most recently, she was lauded by Oprah Winfrey for designs worn by First Lady of Maryland, Dawn Moore, during the inauguration ceremony of Maryland's first black governor, Westmore, two individuals that were on the exposed radio on my talk show as well, gives her time to advance the vision of youth at the Baltimore Design School, the Baltimore Leadership School, and at the Mayor Brandon Scott's Youth Leader Hership Summit, and is creating a scholarship fund to help underwrite the path for designers, designer hopefuls. Please welcome American fashion designer and CEO founder, and I mean, I call her an architect of Jody Davis Designs, Miss Jody Davis. I think you're muted. I think I think my producer muted you, so you got to take yourself off. Okay. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. You know, Jody, it's always good to see you, and you have such a soft voice. She's like, can you hear me now? So welcome, welcome. So, so first and Thank foremost, uh, tell 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 us who is Jody Davis? Uh, a woman who. Um, she loves fashion, she loves family, she loves friends, uh, she loves to travel. Uh, she's, a, she's a businesswoman, an entrepreneur, a um, advocate for helping or reaching back to those who want to uh, trail a path such as the one that I've done. So, so I would just say an all around um, dedicated, motivated, um, um, positive woman who's thankful to be can, using my gifts and talents to uh, wardrobe across the country. That's quite a... I, I'm trying to move because I'm actually in a... Um, I can hear now. Okay. Okay, I'm going to stay in here. Because I'm actually in my um, in New York City in one of these <laughs> buildings and, you know, it's kind of the reception is can be choppy. Ah, okay, okay, yes, good old, good old New York. So we, you know, you're, you're probably doing some things because I understand you got a, a fashion show that's coming somewhere down the line in New York City, correct? Well, I'm just, you know, just working, strategizing, working to to keep moving the brand forward. Okay, so so question for you: Why did you choose a career in fashion? And again, would you call it a career versus a calling? I would actually call it a calling. What I um, looked at, I've always liked to dress, but I, what I, I didn't realize this whole fashion designing and all that, I didn't realize it was a gift until maybe seven or eight years after starting to design and make clothes and uh, getting compliments from first family and friends and then from people that I didn't know. And so at that point, it's... Um, I realized what I looked at as a hobby was actually my gift and my calling. Yeah, and, and I think you probably found that calling pretty pretty early in life because my team pulled up that you was best dressed student at Western High School. Way back when, yeah. And still, <laughs> even back then, didn't know that that was my calling. Right, okay. What One of the questions that one of my, my team members wanted to ask was, 
What is your opinion in terms of education versus experience in, in, in fashion, right? Because you went to FIT, pretty known school for fashion. Um, but what would you say, education versus experience? Well, ed education, folks always want to see if you have that document behind your name. Um, experience teaches you things that, that um, the classroom doesn't necessarily give you. So I would say the combination of the two really helps you to propel and grow in the business that you are interested in. So I wouldn't say choose one over the, uh, over the other. I would say choose both. Okay. Okay. That, that, that makes sense. That, that makes sense. How do you come up with, with your fashion style? I mean, I've seen some of your stuff and, you know, I, I don't wear women's clothes. I'm no woman, but <laughs> it's definitely stunning. You always look amazing. Most of the time when I talk to you, you're wearing your own work. Um, and I've seen some of your clients that I'm pretty close with as well. And, you know, they, 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 you know, Marilyn Mosby being one of them. Um, yeah. Tell us, how do you come up with your fashion style? Um, well, my, my biggest thing is to take beautiful fabric and drape it on my dress form, the dress form that I've had since graduating from Fashion Institute of Technology. And I literally asked God to touch my hand. So it's, you know, I could have a thought, but to actually take that thought and manifest it into a pattern, into a style, um, takes that, that skill, that craft, that dedication, and the gifts that I've been given, I somehow those, those ideas continue to come. I remember I was looking back over time. As you grow in your business, you start looking back. I looked back through some journals, and I remember um, before I even opened my boutique, my biggest fear was that I would not be able to continue to come up with ideas, come up with designs. And 10, 20, 30 years later, I'm still coming up with new looks, new ideas. And so... I, I contributed all the time to the gift that I've been given. And so that's where the, where the um, ideas come from. Oh, okay. And, and, and some good eyes, uh, good ideas they are, definitely. So those Thank that you. are just tuning in and joining, um, we are speaking with American fashion designer, Ms. Jody Davis. Um, most recently, again, let, let's, let's take a minute to, to talk about the, the outfit that you put together for uh, Miss Dawn Moore. Now, that that was stunning. Um, again, it's, it's not your first rodeo, but I think given the platform, that opportunity was was amazing. And I gotta say, you hit a hole in one. Um, how, how did you have that reaction? Did, did you expect or anticipate that that level of reaction from, from that get up? Well, um, to be honest with you, no, I, I wasn't even thinking about the reaction. All I was thinking about was <laughs> delivering the look that she she wanted um, to make sure she felt elegant and powerful and seen. And so to have received the um, accolades I'm receiving since then has been amazing. Um, but, you know, the thing was to deliver. And based on the responses that I'm getting, I think I did a pretty good job. And, and, and I will say I agree. I, I think <laughs> that, that, you know, my, my first guest, Dante, and, and, he's a, and he's a GM of the hotel business, I think one of the keys he said was, again, just making sure his, his clientele, his people uh, are good. That, that's what it is, right? right? So right. the other stuff that comes is extra. It's good. Um, but again, mm -hmm. you just want to make sure that she, she had the look that she wanted. So yeah. Throughout the throughout our research, you know, um, 
one of the things that came up was, and I quote, woman's wear that makes women feel feminine and powerful. What, what's the story behind that phrase? Because you just mentioned uh, it, so I, I figured I'd. Um, just the, the way that the, the fabric or the, the dress, the way that it fits the body elegantly, classy, with taste and style. Um, and it makes, and when you're dressed comfortably, but elegantly with beautiful style, it makes you feel comfortable and confident and um, powerful. And so that is the goal when I'm designing a look to make the woman and the look to be not trendy, but on trend. So meaning she could wear that look today and then she could wear it five years, 10 years from now. I know nowadays with fast fashion, um, oftentimes, Folks wear a piece one time and they don't they don't wear it again. But um, trying to save the the environment and um, saving your pockets, finding a piece that's elegant and stylish and classic um, is is what my goal is to deliver. Okay, and and one of the things also about your your pieces again, folks, we're talking with Jody Davis, um, is that you can go from one thing. To next, right? So you can go from the office, from change something up, and right, and then you can go to a you know happy hour or cocktail right. hour, right? Yeah. I, I think that's that's a, a strong. That's kind of like your your niche, so to speak, and, and the materials and things I've seen folks out in, and and even yourself. Oh, thank you, Rich. Thank you for for recognizing. Thank you for taking notice. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for taking notice. But yes, that's what. I love to have a look that you're not um, limited to when and where you can wear it. So as you said, you can take take a dress or take a jacket and a slack that I designed, wear it to the office, and um, go right out to evening for cocktails, dinner, to a show, um, just a piece that transitions with your lifestyle. Uh, mm -hmm. Lifestyle is important. What you do, where you go is important, and the way you dress is as important. Yeah, absolutely. So now this next question is is all Rich James. I'm being selfish. Do you plan to get into men's fashion? I don't, Rich James. I don't. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. You're going, you, well, I'm going to stay in my lane and I say, I hear you. So, But you, you, you're doing phenomenal. I, I, I love the work that, that you're doing. I, I love watching. You know, again, I, I've seen a little more than normal. Um, you know, because sometimes you, if you don't know, you don't know, but you've definitely caught the eyes of many. You, you've caught my eye and, and, and hopefully, you know, I see a few pieces that my mom will look will look fabulous in. So, um, you know, she thinks she's a, she's a, a fashion diva herself. But, uh, we'll, we'll see. So I, I have two questions that I always ask my guests. Um, and I'm, I'm going to start with the first one here and now. What is your superpower? My superpower, I would say, is being able to drape the um, fabric on a dress form, create a pattern, create a sample um, well before I put it into production. And that mm. superpower makes sure that the garment it fits as it should. Um, as I say, I always use uh, with styling grace. And that superpower is draping, I would say, is that superpower because it affords you the opportunity to mold the body in a sense with the fabric and the outcome is something that just just is timeless and, and right. beautiful 
So you see it before it even before you even put it together, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I, I love it. Um, so Jody, can you share with folks your 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 hours, your location, your social media, so that they can get a hold of you, um, should they want to purchase, etc. Yes, so I'm located Jody Davis, and it's Jody with a Y, and I have to say it all the time because people continue to spell it with an I or an I-E, but it's Jody, J-O-D-Y, Davis. The location is 110 West Saratoga Street in downtown Baltimore. Uh, the hours are Friday and Saturday from 11 to 6, and during the week by appointment. Uh, you can find me on social media, Instagram, Jody Davis, J-D, or Jody Davis Designs. The same for Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. It's all Jody Davis. And again, it's Jody with a Y, J-O-D-Y, Davis. Okay. You, you heard it first. Oh, right wait, here. and let me just say the website is jodydavis.com. Yes. Yes. You can't forget that because you can you can yeah. shop right there. You can shop yeah. right there. So so let's, let's keep this going here. So I know you work with, again, a lot of different people. Um, and again, this is Be Exposed Radio, so we got to ask a little, a little risque question here and there. Um, who was your favorite or most memorable client to work with? Um, and then at the same time, your most difficult or challenging, however you want to word it. Well, Rick, I, I would say that um, I had so many amazing clients, so I wouldn't single out just any one of them. Okay. But, um, just the fact that when my clients come and they come with an open mind, uh, some of them uh, repeat clients that I've had five, 10, 15 years, others are referrals. And the thing that I like is when a, when a client comes, when she's open-minded to try on things, um, oftentimes a woman will come in with one, one thing in mind or thought in mind, but then when I get her to try pieces on, she could wind up walking out with three, four, eight dresses or eight looks. Um, mm -hmm. For the woman that comes in that's saying she wants to change her look and change her style, but in all reality, she wants to continue to stay in the, um, in the comfort zone where she is, it could be a challenge. So I would say not any difficult client, but a challenge if a client is not willing to step out of that comfort zone and try some new looks or something that she wouldn't normally wear, mm -hmm. um, that could be challenging. Oh, say, say less. Say less. So... To, to, to my guy, uh, Steve, who's a different regard. He's a fashion designer. And I'm quite yeah. sure you've heard his name. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> That's me all the way. I get caught. I am caught. I will go to, I used to go to the store and buy the same shirt, just in different colors. So yeah. I've gotten better, though. I've yeah. gotten better. <laughs> um, so at the same time, so how, how are you able to maintain and develop such a loyal client base? Because again, I, I know there's quite a few folks that you've been um, you know, designing for for quite some time. Um, I will say it's the, the fit of the garment, it's the quality of the fabric, it's the detail that I put into the garment. Um, the, the thing that I recognize is when I see women out and say if a woman, she's got a special event, she's got a presentation, she's... Um, doing something special and I look on Instagram or look on social media or get a, a text or a picture um, to see women choosing a Jody piece for those special occasions. It's just um, such an awesome feeling. And I contribute that to the way that the garments fit the body, the way that the garments, again, make a woman feel. 
make you feel feminine, powerful, stylish, statements, all of those things. Um, it would just it'd be just a, a simple dress, but it's the, the fit of the garment. It's the way um, the fabrics that I choose, the, the trims, the notions, all of those things uh, that go into creating a look helps my clients. I get clients saying, Jody, I, I need a, I need a new piece. I got, I'm having a, um, I'm having a desire to get another Jody piece in my wardrobe. So all of that stuff makes me feel good, good and makes me um, think to myself, you, you're doing something right. Um, and nice. to have clients that I've had again and again, repeat clients five, 10, 15 years, it's pretty darn awesome. Absolutely. And um, I, I will say kudos. Keep keep doing what you're doing. Um, I believe we got a phone call. Um, so, Monty, you want to go ahead and put the phone call through? You know, I never get used to this technology, Jody. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm learning every day. <laughs> okay, go ahead, call it. This is Rich James. You are living a rich life talk show with our special featured guest, Jody Davis. Do you have a question? Yes. Hey, Rich James. This is Brittany out in Arundel County. Hi, Miss Jody Davis. Uh, I had a question for you. you Yes, you mentioned that you uh, asked God for gifting in your hands while you were touching the fabric. Do you feel yeah. that you have been divinely sent to particular clients or to address particular women? No, I think I've been divinely sent to just make beautiful clothing that women want to wear. And, and because of that, I um, get referrals. Um, people recognize the, the clothes. They recognize the brand. And so it just makes them have a desire to want to have one of those pieces in their wardrobe. Oh, thank you. Excellent question. I might need to ask God to put men's design into Jody's. <laughs> well, well, you like that one, right? Oh, well, thank you, Paula. Thank you, Brittany. Oh, I love it. Uh, what, what, what do you consider some fashion no-nos? Uh, I would say fashion no-no is to um, try to follow a trend. If that's not your style, if that's not your body type, not everything is for every person. So you want to find a look mm. that, that, that works well with you, with your body type, with your style, and um, just work from there as opposed to seeing someone and thinking, oh, that looks good on her. Let me try it when, when the style is not conducive for your lifestyle, for your body type, for all of those things I would say are important. So a fashion no-no is to try to um, follow the trend. Oh, okay. I, I mean, that was well said. This ain't your first rodeo. Because I mean, to me, you know, as, as a, a media personality and a radio host, and again, this is Be Exposed Radio, like you said, everything ain't for everybody. So I'm going to say, you ain't supposed to be wearing that. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Okay. Okay. So one of the other questions that, again, I always like to ask my guests, um, and, and what, what is living a rich life to you? When you hear that term, that phrase, um, that statement, what does living a rich life mean to you? For me, living a rich life is using my gifts and talents to do what I love to do and not only do what I love to do, but make a living doing so and to be wardrobing women across the country and the goal to be uh, wardrobe and women globally 
is living a rich life. I love to travel. I um, love to see new places, do new things, and uh, follow, using my, um, follow my dream, my passion, has afforded me those opportunities. And so I would say that's living a rich life for me. Okay. Ain't nothing wrong with that. So, you know, this is the reality world these days. Have you ever considered trying to get on one of those fashion reality shows? Because honestly, I, I think you would do extremely well. And I definitely know the DMV would support you. You know, Baltimore would support you. Have you ever considered trying to get on one of those fashion shows? Is that something well, early, early on, I've tried and I didn't get accepted, but it just, it didn't stop me from um, continuing to continuing my quest in designing and building a brand. Um, I just never pursued it again. So I tried it once and didn't get on. And so um, I got more focused on growing my business and growing my brand um, and not focused on those, you know, those other opportunities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I, I like to say that I think when it comes to those types of opportunities, when they're when it's your time, it's your time. And it's your time. one thing, one thing for sure, they they need to get a hold of you now before it gets too late, <laughs> right? You know, you, I think Thank even you. you know we we try to coordinate, and sometimes I said they better get it now before it's too late. That's, <laughs> well, we'll say that because again, uh, you have some excellent quality of clothes, and it's it's, it's just amazing what you've done. And I, I'm very happy I was able to be a part of telling your story here today. So so thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. I appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So I, I do need for you to stick around for the, the 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 worst part of the show, which is living a rich life. Closing remarks. So if you would just stick around right quick, and okay, we're gonna we're gonna close out the show. So again, this is uh, Women's Month March, and uh, this is the uh, end of the, the the month in which Jody decided and and blessed her with her parents here to close it out. Um, again, recognizing women um, and the amazing work that, that she's doing in the uh, fashion design. And then shouts out again to Dante Johnson. So uh, this is Living a Rich Life Closing Remarks. Uh, you have the power to move with true confidence. Confidence is not they like me. Confidence is I'll be fine if they don't. Be fearless in the pursuit of what sets your heart on fire and move with confidence. Thank you, Dante Johnson, for sharing your story. Thank you, Ms. Jody Davis, for closing out Women's Month with us here on Living a Rich Life Talk Show and sharing your story. Um, if you have a story to tell, you can reach out to us at livingarichlife.net. Until next week, stay confident and continue to be inspired to live a rich life. This is Rich James saying goodnight, and thank you for tuning in to BeExposedRadio.com. Have a good thank night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you, Jody. Talk okay, to you soon. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. The Style Lounge Boutique. For a different caliber of service, the Style Lounge Boutique. For clothing that fits your lifestyle, the Style Lounge Boutique. At 1734 Maryland Avenue. Trust me, you're going to love it here. Folks, another successful show on BeExposedRadio.com. Uh, you tune in next week. We have uh, Roxy, aka Mikkel Johnson, 
and a special celebrity guest that you definitely want to like to hear from. Have a good night. I'm Rich James. Good night.